KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. There was stunning news out of Afghanistan recently with word that the U.S. had killed al-Qaeda leader Ayman al-Zwahari. His name became all too familiar to Americans in the wake of 9-11, and he had been leading the terrorist organization al-Qaeda since Osama bin Laden was killed by U.S. forces back in 2011. We wanted to talk about this development, what it means going forward, so we caught up with Dr. Lisa Baglioni. She is a professor of political science at St. Joseph's University. So the death of Ayman al-Zawahiri at the hands of the U.S., kind of from a 30,000-foot view, how big a deal is this? It's big on many levels. On one level, it's big because he is the mastermind of the, the 9-11 plots, as well as previous ones and subsequent attacks. He was the head of al-Qaeda, and the U.S. had made a promise that We would go after those plotters and attackers and we would not forget. So so that's really important that that kind of threat and the delivery on the threat is realized. Also important is that Al-Qaeda is now without a leader. It won't be for long and the new leader won't have the same kind of connection to and legitimacy from his placement in the hierarchy and in the origins of the Al-Qaeda movement at the same level, because Zawahri and and bin Laden came together uh, in the late 80s, early 90s to create and to merge their two groups and create Al-Qaeda that then went ahead with the uh, very prominent attacks that we know. So it's it's really big on on that. It's big for again the U.S. showing that we would go after, and it's big on highlighting that the Taliban had not been keeping up on its part of the deal in the American withdrawal deal that was negotiated by the Trump administration in early 2020 and then implemented uh, by the Biden administration. And so um, even though many experts were realizing or were saying, we've known that some Al-Qaeda operatives have been in certainly throughout Afghanistan, but also in in, uh, Kabul, but somebody of this level, uh, I think I heard Admiral Kirby last night say that someone of this level, we could not tolerate. I find it interesting that this operation was pulled off after the U.S. withdrew from Afghanistan. And I think that is important because there was a lot of discussion, a lot of blowback from the decision to pull out of Afghanistan. And there are a lot of things on the ground that are wrong and that we've done podcasts on the situation in Afghanistan before. But I think it says a lot, and it is probably a good argument for it was the right decision. The idea that this was able to be pulled off without having thousands of us troops stationed in a place like Afghanistan. No. Yeah. For many, it's a, it's a huge accomplishment and the administration received an enormous amount of criticism and ridicule. Actually, we're talking about how it would continue what they called over the horizon 
operations and some people made fun of them, calling them over the rainbow, right? People, this is never going to happen. But um, no, the, the counterterrorism folks uh, in the CIA, in the NSC, in defense, although this was primarily a CIA operation from what I understand, uh, they've been looking and watching and, and waiting. And so this is a really big big step, big um, victory in a way for the United States. But on the other hand, folks can say, yeah, but whoa, he was there, uh, had no, seemed to have no real fear or, and the Taliban seemed to have no uh, real fear that he would be caught or, I mean, I shouldn't say no real fear because it's clear that he took his time moving to uh, Kabul for some time. His family went first uh, and trying to keep his identity uh, and his presence, Zawahri's presence under wraps. But still, um, it, it, it's he's right there in the center of Kabul in one of the most uh, beautiful and exclusive neighborhoods. Uh, he wasn't going out just to his porch from what I understand, uh, but still it, it is pretty amazing. Al-Qaeda prior to 9-11, 2001, Al-Qaeda was not something I think the average American was real familiar with. For a couple of years after 9-11, it became all-encompassing. You know, you would hear conversations where everything that happened in the world, people would try to, and I'm not making fun, like there, it was palpable, like that they were behind everything. That obviously has faded in the, you know, decade and a half since the height uh, you know, ISIS rose, that became the main threat. What was, I guess my question is, what kind of was the level of Al- what is Al-Qaeda now? Is it still a global terror network? Are there, you know, what level should Americans look at Al-Qaeda at this point? Well, Al-Qaeda has this central organizing, more inspirational node, which was around Zahwari and previously with bin Laden. But it it was, in the sense, a network that allowed uh, the various groups, it provides inspiration to those groups uh, increasingly, but it, or, or in the last 20 years, but it has not uh, dominated their, like, like given directives. It doesn't give directives and say, you will do X, Y, or Z. It provides um, encouragement. It provides uh, uh, ideological backing. Uh, with Bin Laden earlier, you know, a, a good amount of funds. But what's what's interesting is it really does have these nodes that are inspired and and then work on their terrain uh, to to achieve whatever it is that they want to achieve. So there are Al, Al Qaeda affiliates. All around the world, especially uh, now, you know, worries about Al Qaeda in um, different parts of Sub-Saharan Africa, in East Africa, in West Africa, in the Sahel, uh, in other parts of the Middle East, uh, and and so so this is this they are still a worry, and they still identify um, the United States as a as a threat. And certainly, I would expect that after this 
this event after taking out Zawari, uh, where you know we can expect attempts at retaliation. Um, and and so I'm sure uh, the State Department, CIA, and others are going to be looking uh, for for other actions. Um, and remember, Al Qaeda burst onto the scene, uh, especially in 1998, just about almost exactly this time of year, it was August, when they bombed the U.S. embassies in East Africa. So was was really frightening and a horrible day. I mean, there, mostly they killed uh, Africans coming to, to the embassy for visas or various other uh, issues, but it, it, was, it was a horrible, horrible event. He was killed in Kabul. One would have to imagine that the Taliban... You know, this was not something I'm sure that caught them off guard. The Taliban at least has given the idea that they want to be part of the world community and they want to be looked at as a more legitimate government. But harboring this guy would seem to go completely against them being taken seriously as a player on the world stage like they want to see themselves know. The Taliban have multiple challenges. They have the challenge of uh, governing this territory, which on the one hand, when we look at it from from an American perspective, and we think about what happened in last August, where there was this sweep, you know, we were also shocked at how easily Afghan forces fell. But the Taliban themselves still have the challenge of fighting off an ISIS group within Afghanistan that is itself um, arguing that it's it's a more legitimate lead. It should be the legitimate leader. Um, the Taliban also uh, has worries about uh, cross-border problems with with Pakistan. And the Taliban is, is, I think, struggling internally as well as obviously externally. So its desire to look like a normal state in world politics is driven because by its need to have, I mean, it's broke right? It's, it's broken. It's, it's people. What, what we, we know, I was just looking up new data because we talked about this, uh, what, about five months ago, that we, we now know that about 20, about half the population, 41 million, about 22 million of them are suffering a shortage of food. And for 8 million right now, uh, that's, that shortage is, is acute. So we're going to be worrying about lots of dead Afghanis, um, and the Taliban has to worry about that. Uh, and so on the one hand, it was trying to spruce up its image, right, to have the U.S. and others release funds. But it has to also stay in power <laughs> domestically. And it's been worried that it's not so much that ISIS-K is attacking Taliban, but it's that Taliban forces or and Taliban officials might um, might lead the Taliban to move to ISIS K as the force that is more exciting and more capable. And so they're playing this 
tough game of internal politics. Um, yeah. And, and you could argue, I mean, one of the big sticking points in the holdup of the basics of this aid from, from outside is that they still haven't let girls go back to school. Girls meaning uh, from age 13 on. They haven't. And that's been a basic condition of the international community. And I, I really think that the Biden administration and others were looking for some tiny good faith effort because they are aware, the UN is aware of just how dire the situation is, especially after the recent, um, it was a recent earthquake end of June in, um, in Afghanistan. But they're, they're not moving on this. And, you know, I'm sure some of this is their, is their ideology but it, it, I bet it's also driven by political motives of trying to keep um, all members together. And it's interesting, um, you know, listening to the various uh, accounts of experts in the region. Some people do say it is possible that the Haqqani network, so, so uh, Zahwari was in a house that was, um, that was owned by an aide. To, or, or controlled by an aide to the leader of the Haqqani network, which is a, 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 a Taliban or a group of uh, tal- parts of the t- Taliban. The leader of that is the, is the minister of the interior right now. And some were speculating that, that he, that the leader of the Haqqani network, might, have, n- might not have informed everything. Uh, I find that a little hard to believe because there they are in the center uh, of um, of Kabul. Uh, but but that I thought was interesting. I don't think we know. I mean, I don't think outsiders know. Uh, and it's also interesting that the killing of Zawahri with the U.S. talking about its intelligence, this has set off a kind of paranoia within the Taliban about who is leaking, who is disloyal, where did that information come from? So we could see violence within the Taliban as they try to purge people they think are disloyal, whether they really will be or not. If they, we, 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 uh, I mean, maybe the CIA will know, but um, it will be a while before we'll know. And then also uh, fear of what this is going to mean for those Afghans who worked for the U.S. or had any association with the U.S., they might be victimized regardless, just as the Taliban looks to find somebody to blame for this. It's got to be embarrassing for them. We need to take a break. We will have more with St. Joseph's University's Dr. Lisa Baglioni right after this. This is KYW News Radio In-Depth. And we're back on KYW News Radio In-Depth, continuing our conversation with Dr. Lisa Baglioni. Kind of going off your last answer, is there, you know, if the world community looks at this as the Taliban harboring this guy, is there really, would you expect anything from the world community? Is there really anything they can do because everybody's pulled out, nobody's helping? I'm, I mean, maybe some sanctions around the edges, but is there really many cards to play for the world to show their outrage at the Taliban? I wish I could say there were, but I I don't think so. and I also think the fact that the Russians are tied up in Ukraine, there's evidence that Chechen fighters 
have been going into Afghanistan, have been joining Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. And that doesn't seem to bother the Russians. And we know that back, was it one year ago or even a little bit more, two years ago, that the Russians were were funding bounties on the, you know, funding, um, they put bounties on the heads of American soldiers and were paying Afghans who killed them. And then I also understand that the Taliban um, has been allowing uh, Uyghurs from China to come into Afghanistan. And while the Chinese uh, are not pleased with that, they're not really saying anything uh, about it. And from what I understand, the Taliban isn't being critical of China's efforts against Muslims in uh, in Xinjiang. So I don't see the world community doing much, uh, potentially the UN trying to work at getting aid. But I, I, I don't see what I don't I don't see what we can do. Um, which I'm sorry that's you know again like you said I would imagine some sanctions on the side. I would imagine those keeping those funds frozen. There's no we're not going to unfreeze those funds, and the Europeans aren't going to unfreeze those funds. And and again the tragedy is that the people who are going to suffer the most are um, are ordinary Afghanis probably a lot of women and children, especially, because they're going to be the ones who always get fed last. It's a mess. Everyone was obviously very familiar with Osama bin Laden. I think those of us that were of a certain age around 9-11 are familiar with al-Zawahari because he was he was not the kind of the face that bin Laden was, but there was just so much focus on al-Qaeda that you heard that name a lot. Um, with him off the table now, is there is there a name that we should keep an eye out on that could be elevated to a new, you know, uh, Al Qaeda head or a new person, the new inspiration for Al Qaeda, or is that still to be determined? I would say that's still to be determined. They have they have a generational challenge. They're trying to decide: do we go with one of our more senior folks? Uh, somebody of a similar generation to bin Laden or Zawahri, or given the the kind of energy that they feel they need to match that ISIS energy and youth that ISIS has had, will they go longer? And so from what I have been looking at, it's all up in the air, potential of a son-in-law of Zawahri uh, coming forward. Uh, there was, you know, uh, about eight years ago, seven years ago, one of Bin Laden's sons had been looked like he was being groomed, and then he was uh, he was taken out. So I'm I'm not sure. And and from what I've been reading uh, and hearing, it doesn't look like there's any any one name. And that again, it's going there's going to be I would say uh, probably a power struggle and an ideological, you know, a bunch of decisions about direction, which will be impacted by concerns of ideology, uh, concerns of competition with ISIS, and some of that will be generational. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. 
You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon. 